This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for what is another episode of the Arsenal Transfer Show. Joining you every morning at 8 a.m. UK time. Hope you're doing good. Hope you're doing well. Thank you as always for joining me. Thank you as always for making this a part of your morning routines. It is very much appreciated. Do indeed drop a like on the video if you haven't done so already and subscribe to the channel if you're new around here with those notifications turned on so you never miss a show. Uh, thank you so much everyone joining us live this morning in the chat box. It is very much appreciated. Good morning to Sean, good morning to Louis, to Paul. Uh, good morning to all of you. Uh, I, I hope we're not having any internet issues. I think there might be a couple. Uh, Louis, good morning. Uh, Sean, we've got Amira, we've got Ray, we've got Sweating Merle, Olawale, we've got Stephen, uh, Martin, Matt G, Pam, Old Dave, Sabre, and plenty more of the usuals and unusuals in the chat box as well. Um, yes, it is uh, a new week, a new week and not long to wait until the next game either, because of course, Arsenal will be facing Luton Town tomorrow evening in the Premier League. I'm not sure if we're going to have a preview or not um, tonight. Uh, there's, I've got a lot on today. I'm off work today, but I've got a lot going on. So I'm not sure if we'll have a preview show for you or not today. Um, but there will be, of course, uh, the reaction to tomorrow's game. We'll have the show tomorrow morning. The reaction will, of course, be on Wednesday. So there's plenty of reason to still be excited and to tune in for the channel's events over the course of this week. But we've got to talk about the news. Uh, we've got to talk about plenty of things that have gone on this week already and this weekend, of course, as well. So without further ado, let's jump into today's stories. Uh, we should first of all round up all of yesterday and the weekend's events. We talked through Saturday's games, of course, yesterday morning. Arsenal beating Wolves, Brentford beating Luton, Burnley beating Sheffield United, Nottingham Forest losing at home to Everton and Newcastle beating Manchester United as well. But we haven't had a chance to discuss yesterday's games. And so we kick off with Bournemouth against Aston Villa. Aston Villa coming from behind in the end twice. Uh, first of all, 1-0 down, then 2-1 down. And then Ollie Watkins with a fantastic header at the end of the game to secure a point for Unai Emery's side. But that is two big dropped points for Villa, who would have expected to beat Bournemouth on the road. It sees them drop down. Well, I say drop down. They've remained in fourth place, but they could have had a chance of shooting up 
uh, into third. They would have been above Manchester City had they have beaten Bournemouth away from home. Arsenal, of course, winning 4-0 on the South Coast earlier this season, showing perhaps the difference between the two sides in that regard. And then we had a very interesting game at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea beating Brighton and Hove Albion 3-2. However, at half-time, it was 2-1 to Chelsea with 10 men. Conor Gallagher getting, uh, getting sent off for a very immature challenge after already being booked for descent. And then further VAR drama because, of course, Chelsea's third goal... Uh, I think, came from Mudrick being supposedly fouled by James Milner. For me, it is very, very soft. Mudrick overhits his pass, and it is uh, his touch anyway. Steele is coming out and claiming it, and Milner's kind of physically moving him off the ball. I think it's a very harsh one. I think if the referee doesn't give it for VAR to go and turn that around, I find is a little bit inconsistent with some of the decisions that we've seen. Take the Kai Havertz one against Manchester United. If the referee has given that penalty to see VAR overturn that and for VAR to give this does seem quite strange. And also Moises Caicedo, very, very lucky not to be sent off as well and not to get a second yellow card in that game. Brighton came very, very close then um, to equalise and they got their second in, I think, the 92nd minute for Israel Pedro and it was 3-2. And then, uh, very late on in the game, there was more VAR controversy as a, a, a supposed handball was checked when it was nowhere near a handball. It was, I think, came off Colwell's face uh, in the end, and quite obviously. And it stopped Brighton from getting a corner because it then led to a drop ball, I think, for Chelsea and their advantage get taken away from Brighton. So, Chaotic VAR again in a game, uh, another week, another round of controversy. And then we had Liverpool against Fulham in an amazing game. Fulham leading 3-2 right up until the 87th minute when Endo scored a fantastic goal. And then Trent Alexander-Arnold scored another fantastic goal in the 88th minute. McAllister scoring arguably goal of the month if it weren't for Garnacho's overhead kick last week. Uh, And of course, Trent scored an amazing free kick to kick things off as well. You have to feel as though that Liverpool's game here was very fortunate. I'll be very interested to know what the XG on every single one of their chances was. And Fulham were very hard done by in the end to come out of that with nothing but four unbelievable strikes from Liverpool in the end, proving the difference. In the worst game of the weekend, West Ham United played Crystal Palace, the one that was actually televised of those first four we've discussed there, ending 1-1. West Ham United taking the lead before Crystal Palace. Uh, and Mavra Panos, I think it was, making a really bad mistake, allowing, I think it was Eduard, uh, to equalise. And then in the final game of the weekend, and probably the game of the weekend, Manchester City beat, uh, sorry, drew against Tottenham Hotspur 3-3. They probably should have beat them if it wasn't for a chaotic refereeing decision, which we probably again have to discuss, even though it's not really in the context of Arsenal. Anything to do with refereeing certainly seems to have an impact on us. But first of all, you have to say thank you to Tottenham Hotspur for nicking a couple of points off uh, Man City. This was probably the result I was hoping to come out for the most for both teams to drop points. We would wish that both teams could lose. They can't. Um, But a draw is the best result for us. And uh, my goodness, what a terrible decision from referee Simon Hooper. Erling Haaland, as you can see from that photo, very, very angry to those that don't know what happened at 3-3 and going into the final moments of the game. Erling Haaland was fouled. He played on, played the ball through for Jack Grealish. The referee allowed uh, play to go. He played advantage. You could see his arm in the air playing advantage. And as the ball was played through to a very clear one-on-one situation for Jack Grealish, Grealish, (laughs) Grealish, we saw Simon Hooper then blow 
for the free kick, bringing the play back to the absolute anger and frustration, as you can see on Erling Haaland's face there, of everybody involved with Manchester City. Pep Guardiola, as you can see from the thumbnail, falling to the floor. It was a terrible decision from the ref, an awful decision, and certainly one which highlights, again, the incompetence, just how poor these referees are at this standard of referee. Simon Hooper, in particular, is one of the poorest, I have to say, officials that we have out there at the moment. Continuous, I remember when he's refereed Arsenal games. He's the one, if you remember, that Mikel Arteta did the whole ball rolling um, <laughs> imitation thing. He was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like the rolling the ball uh, imitation of, of Simon Hooper, which was hilarious. Yeah, he's not been great for us either when we've come. I think he refereed the Aston Villa game last season when in which that happened. So, yeah, he's, he's not the best. And again, it's just further evidence that, our, that the PGMOL and the officiating need to make sure that they are widening the diversity and giving more opportunities to other referees because the ones that they've currently got and have had for quite some time just are simply not good enough. Terrible decision. Uh, it was also moving on. I suppose we should probably talk about the, where the Premier League table lies then just very quickly. Arsenal top of the table after the weekend on 33 points. Liverpool then on second in 31. Manchester City dropping to third with 30. Arsenal three points clear, but do have a two two goal worse off goal difference than them. Aston Villa on 29 points in fourth. Spurs now six points behind Arsenal on 27. Newcastle in sixth on 26. Manchester United in seventh on 24. Brighton uh, remained in eighth on 22. West Ham on 21. Chelsea still in 10th on 19. They will face uh, Manchester United in the next game, whereas West Ham will play Spurs. Brighton will play Brentford. Newcastle will play Everton. Manchester City will play against Aston Villa in a very interesting game in which Rodri uh, Rodri will be suspended for that game. And Liverpool have a relatively easy game away at Sheffield United while Arsenal go away to Luton Town. Very interesting to see what happens during this midweek of fixtures. Now, we have the FA Cup third round draw. Arsenal were not given the best draw. However, I'm okay with it. Arsenal draw against Liverpool at home. And I think it is that key point of being at home that will favour Arsenal in this sense. It is a weekend fixture. These games are set to be played across the weekend of the 6th and 7th of January. So there's no excuses for Arsenal to rotate. Arsenal can go as strong as they like in this game because they don't have that um, Premier League uh, kind of emphasis on what they're doing. So I think from an Arsenal perspective, this match works out quite nicely. We have, of course, the, uh, the Christmas break as well to contend with. We have a break, I think, after the Sunday, the 31st. So we have the uh, we have the 31st game against Fulham. Then we have a week until we play Liverpool. And then there's a week break for us before we play Crystal Palace on the 20th of January. So Arsenal can go as strong as they like, as can Liverpool, of course, as well. In fact, let me just do a quick check of Liverpool's fixtures to see which week they're playing in January. Their Premier League game, their Premier League game is going to be on... Well, they do have a Europa... uh, Oh, no, sorry. I'm looking at the wrong fixtures here. So going into January, they play us. They play Newcastle at home on the 1st of January. And then we'll probably play us on the 7th. I imagine it will be the 7th. It could be the 6th, but I imagine it will be the 7th. And then, yes, like us, they play on that 2021st weekend away at Bournemouth. So no excuses, but to go really strong in in this game. And I like the idea of... 
knocking out the competition. To run you through the whole draw uh, in BBC style, uh, Luton Town uh, play Bolton Wanderers, Shrewsbury Town play Wrexham or Yeovil Town, Arsenal will play Liverpool, Stoke play Brighton and Hope Albion, Norwich City play Crew Alexandria or Bristol Rovers, West Ham United play Bristol City, Spurs play Burnley, Fulham play Rotherham United, West Bromwich Albion play Aldershot Town or Stockport County, uh, Southampton play Alfreton Town or Walsall, AFC Wimbledon or Ramsgate will play against Ipswich, Peterborough will play Leeds, Millwall will play Leicester, Watford will play Chesterfield or Leighton Orient, Sunderland play Newcastle in a very interesting uh, North East derby, uh, Sheffield Wednesday against Cardiff, Crystal Palace against Everton, Middlesbrough against Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest against Blackpool, Forest Green Rovers. So it could be Forest against Forest in that game. Uh, Wigan against Manchester United. Manchester City play Huddersfield. Blackburn against Cambridge United. Gillingham will play Sheffield United. Swansea play Morecambe. Chelsea play Preston North End. Queen's Park Rangers playing AFC Bournemouth. Um, we've got Coventry City against Oxford, Brentford against Wolves, Plymouth against Sutton United, Maidstone United will play Stevenage or Port Vale, Newport County or Barnet will play Eastleigh or Reading, although I think that game was played yesterday. Hull City play Birmingham. Just having a quick check on that Eastleigh result for the benefit of those. Uh, it was... Someone's already typing it in the chat box, I know. Eastleigh beat Reading 2-1, an amazing result for them. And their reward, Eastleigh, is a game against Newport or Barnet, <laughs> which is not the best. But who knows? Maybe they get through and play an amazing team in the next round. So that's the FA Cup draw, third round draw for you. Arsenal against Liverpool. Very interesting to see who goes through in that one. And our headline transfer story of the day. Arsenal are said to be keen on a deal for João Palhinha. Yes, the Portuguese international and Fulham defensive midfielder has been one of the best, most consistent players in the Premier League so far since his move from sporting. His age bracket is something that I think will certainly raise a few eyebrows. Team News and Ticks actually reported or tweeted a few days ago that Arsenal were interested in a player uh, in defensive midfield that was of an interesting age bracket, and it was their opinion that it would be that they couldn't necessarily see it happen. It didn't mean it wouldn't happen. And then Connor Hum yesterday reported the name of Joao Pelinho, which Team News and Ticks confirmed as being a player that Arsenal are interested in. And TNAT is is very reliable with their information, so we have no reason to think that this is anything other than you know a, a genuine interest. What are the realistic chances, says Marcus, of this happening? It seems to be that a summer move would be preferable for Arsenal, I guess, with the financial side of things. But Bayern Munich remain very keen on Palinja. I think that, and this might go against, this might sound slightly contradictory because you know my thoughts and age profiles and things like that, but there's a difference for this one. The reason why I'm feeling slightly different about the idea of signing 28-year-old Joao Palinja is because of Arsenal's midfield dynamic as it is right now. He turns 29 in July. So for the brand new season, he would be 29. The difference why I have the reason why I have a difference with Palhinha instead of others, and he is an answer similar to Rice. No, Rice is a lot different to Palhinha in the sense that Rice can play very comfortably as an eight. Palhinha is very much a six, and for me, would play in that defensive midfield role alongside Rice if we were to come up against more difficult opposition. Um, but Palinha for me fits because if you're going to move on Partey, if you're going to move on Jorginho, if you're going to move on El Elneny, Arsenal are losing an incredible amount of experience 
in that midfield. And so therefore, with losing all of that experience, you then replace that. And people talk about the idea, well, you know, maybe you're not bringing a younger player in this position, but in the forward line, we've got a, a lot of youth. In the defensive line, we've got a lot of youth. In the midfield, we've got a lot of experience, but it's leaving. And so therefore, there is an opportunity, I think, for Arsenal to go out and invest in an older, more experienced player that's got Premier League experience of playing at a very good level and is already being linked. You know, you think about Bayern Munich, for instance. Bayern Munich have already got Joshua Kimmich. They've already got Leon Goretzka. And they were still looking at trying to sign Joao Pelinha and very nearly did as well last summer. He's a very good player, very highly regarded, and certainly I think would be a really smart and shrewd move for Arsenal to make. And I think if we can invest money that doesn't necessarily have too much of a resale value the midfield is probably the best area you know for Arsenal to do that because they've invested 100 and odd million quid in Declan Rice he's going to be here for the long term and obviously we've invested a lot of money in our forward line but also renewed a lot of players in our forward line as well and got a lot of youth in that forward line as well so Joao Pelinha it's a yay not a nay for me and I would love to see that deal happen. Right, let's move on to part two and your questions right after this. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes at McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, uh, shall we jump into the chat box then and tackle as many of your comments as we can? Uh, thank you to those that bought tickets over the weekend for our live event. More being sold. They are whittling themselves down. Um, so thank you to those that continue to do so. If you would like to come to our live event in February 22nd at the Old Queen's Head on the Essex Road in North London, then please make sure that you get hold of your tickets. Link down in the description to get them. The time is running out. We'll be revealing our lineup next month. So I'm very much looking forward to that um okay uh, amira says how is it decided how many questions a journalist can slash will be able to ask during a press conference do radio and tv outlets get priority and then other journalists would depend on what time is remaining uh yeah i can give you a little bit of information into this so basically what usually happens on a press conference day is that sky and talk sport will go first so sky you usually hear the sky reporters go first um or premier league if there's anyone from the premier league there uh, will also be in there first as well. So they usually get four or five questions. Um, and then what happens is after the broadcasters um, get their questions, so the broadcasters go first, um, then it's the journalists that go first in the live section. So whoever is alongside um, Arteta, it's usually you know the, the person who's head of comms. Um, Dan that's doing a lot of that. So Dan will point to somebody in the room and say, you know, usually it's kind of goes through the people that are more established and are there and have been there a long, long time. So uh, James Olley, uh, Mark Man Bryans from PA, 
uh, we'll get a couple of questions, two or three questions, and you kind of have to just have to catch the hands' attention sometimes and, and and try and get a question. We usually get two questions in the live section, and then when the live section finishes, it goes to the embargo section, which usually goes out slightly later on, and that's usually for the newspapers, um, so they can you know write up their pieces using Arteta's quotes. That's why you get embargoes in the press conference. So. There you go. Uh, I hope that answers your question. Uh, Nick says, Joao gets booked a lot. Keep up the good work, Tom. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Nick. And Nick has been a, a member now for 10 months. Thank you for being so much, for such a long time, part of this family. Um, he does get booked a lot. Maybe that would change under Arteta. We would have to wait and see. He was, of course, suspended against Arsenal for, I think, their game in which they won 3-0 at Fulham last season. Um, Benny says, can we have an honest discussion about Enketia? 100k a week, and I feel that we have seen his peak for Arsenal, and it isn't good enough for what we want to achieve. I mean, the wages are relevant because a lot of players at this age, at this time in their career, at these types of clubs are on that figure. The 100k a week is absolutely negligible in the context of players' wages of players of a similar age. He's, what, 24 now. Most players playing at Arsenal and have got as many minutes and as many games as they have are on about 100k a week. So the wage means nothing. He's much... He's, kind of his level is obviously the, the bigger question. For me, as I've already said, if Arsenal go out and sign a player that is better than Jesus or has a ceiling that could be higher than Jesus, they should go out and do that. And then, of course, Eddie Nketiah would then move on. I haven't got an issue with that whatsoever. I think that Eddie Nketiah's future does still lie away from Arsenal. It was the right decision to renew him, in my opinion, because obviously he would have gone for free. And I think that Arsenal can make a very good amount of money off of a deal for Eddie Nketiah that can then be used to put towards a better centre forward. Um, Marcus says, are there any plans for a 10am Arsenal Way show still? I'm gutted that your partners are going slash gone. Bailey and Umar. Yeah, I'm not really sure what's happening at the moment. Everything's very much up in the air, Marcus, at the moment. As soon as I've got information on the situation at the Arsenal Way, I'll tell you. But as you know, yeah, Bailey and Chris obviously left us previously. Alfie left us previously. Umar has uh, left us as well. And, and things are still very much up in the air at the moment. As soon as I have information about the Arsenal Way, I'll, of course, tell you, but thank you for asking. Um, Praktika says, what's Nketiah's sale value? Without this contract, he's on now. He'd have gone for free. With this contract, Arsenal can get a very useful um, backup, in that sense, for peanuts. I mean, his sale value, I think, is upwards of 20, 30 million pounds, personally. You've got a homegrown centre forward, plenty of Premier League experience, plenty of experience of scoring goals for a side like Arsenal as well. And I think that can be a really good option for the sides in the mid part of the table. I think, you know, if, if Brighton were to lose uh, Ferguson, he'd make a great signing for Brighton. I think if Brentford were to lose Tony, I think Nketiah would make a great signing for them. Mid-table, West Ham-type level team, mid-table there, uh, pushing for those European places. I think that Nketiah would be a great option to start for those teams. And I think Arsenal should be looking to get 20 to £30 million pounds, uh, for Eddie Nketiah. I wonder what his value is on... Uh, transfer marks have a quick look they're not the best when it comes to like valuing players always so they don't take into account a lot of factors they say 30 million euros uh Fedi and Ketia so interesting one um Derek says how many teams in the FA Cup draw and we get Liverpool uh we have no luck I'm actually fine with it like I'm okay with it if we you have to beat the best to win it and that's you know we got Man City in the first round last season and we've got Liverpool in the first round this season I'm fine with it I'm if you if you want to win the competition, you're gonna to have to beat the big teams eventually, you know, unless you're Manchester United and you can win the League Cup by beating relatively poorer teams until you get to a final. And you know, it's also so it's also something of a test. Like when you when you win the FA Cup, there's always something about that competition that's like, 
you know, Arsenal's record in it. And, you know, is it a, count as a major trophy? The fact of the matter is, yes, it does count as a major trophy. And if you can beat Liverpool on the way to winning it, it stands for something, I think, even more impressive if you can win it whilst beating those types of teams. So I'm absolutely fine with the fact that we're playing Liverpool. We're at home. We can go our full strength team because we've got no match the week after. You know, we have no reason but to absolutely go for it. So for me, I'd love to see us really push for that that FA Cup. Uh, Phil Ed says, Tom, do you see any realistic sales happening in January? If not, I don't see how we'll get players in with the FFP restrictions that we supposedly have going on. Again, I have said for quite some time that I'm not exactly optimistic about the idea of Arsenal signing, um, you know, anyone major um, in January. I could be wrong. I just, I'm not that optimistic about it because I know that Arsenal's priority business is probably going to take place in the summer, not in January. And I have said for quite some time as well that I think our squad is good when everybody is fit. I think our squad is capable of winning a title when everyone's fit. It's the fact that we don't have so many players at the moment that have created these problems. Um, we could still sign somebody. We hope to sign somebody, but we do have these restrictions at the moment. Regarding sales, obviously there are obvious ones like Cedric. Partey has been linked with an exit as well. I know Jorginho has been linked with an exit as well. Um, you could see players like Nelson and Nketiah perhaps get offers. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Sometimes you get those clubs that are further down the bottom end of the table um, panicking and putting in big bids to try and stay up. You think about Sheffield United with Rian Brewster. Who knows? Could somebody come in with a big bid for one of our players um, in, in, in hope of, of getting them? Reese Nelson maybe being a key one. So, yeah, I think it's very interesting to see what will end up happening. Uh, Harry says, do you think the lineup will have to be shuffled more than normal for the game against Luton as we only played three days ago? I think we will see some changes. I think you probably will see Ben White probably coming for Tommy Asu. I think you might see uh, Havertz coming for Trossard. You might see, um, who knows, could Nelson come into the team for one of the wide positions? I don't think it has to change too much. Um, but I think Arteta will want to change some things. Maybe we'll see Jorginho come into the midfield. Maybe Kivio will come into the team. Um, I think there's there's options and we have options to change things. So there will be a little bit. I'd be surprised if we didn't make any because, of course, we've got that trip to Aston Villa on Saturday. Um, let's go to Derek, who says, Tom, since we have multiple Derricks, can you add our last names um, <laughs> instead? What, so I have to call you Derek Norris. And uh, where was other Derek? Derek McNicholas in the chat as well. Oh, you're going to have to agree that between yourselves, I'm afraid. Uh, Benny says, what about a timber update? I've seen that he is in the gym working. Of course, he's been in the gym working for months and months and months. There's no official update yet. We won't get an update on his potential return for a little while. Do be very cautious when it comes to hearing updates on Yuri and Timber. ACO injuries are really unpredictable about return time and recovery. You probably get the most information when they start going out onto the field and running. And then with a the ball, when they're working with a ball, that's a really good sign and that gives you a better indication of the timeline of how far they might be away. But I wouldn't be too optimistic about having him back within the next three or four months. You know, I think it's going to be more likely April, maybe May, maybe even after the season. So don't get your hopes up too high for Timber, I'm afraid. But I hope I'm wrong and I hope that we see a miraculous recovery, but you can't rush someone back from this type of injury. Uh, Maximia says, hey, Tom, Palhinha or Fafana and why? Really good question, this actually. And my answer would be Palinia. The reason why it would be Palinia is because I think, obviously, if Arsenal want to go and win a Champions League, they want to win a Premier League, adding a player that can give you guarantees about their quality and readiness now is ideal, you know. And I think that Palinia is of a level 
above, well above that of Fafana. Fafana is a great player and I really like him, but I genuinely look at Palinha as one of the best defensive midfielders in the Premier League. You've got a bracket of players like Rodri and Rice and Palinha is genuinely punching on the door of that level of player. He is that good. Whereas Yusuf Fafana is obviously, I think, a couple of rungs down that ladder, um, but is pushing upwards. I think Palinha is the type of player that you can sign, add loads of depth. You see Jorginho Partey leave and you've still got room probably to add a Fafana on top of that because he can play six or eight. So it gives you that depth. So I, I lean towards Palinha because he is the better player and I think is, is punching on the door of those top, top players in the Premier League. And it's, it's certainly worth Arsenal going into the market to try and do that for the experience that he would bring to the group as well. He's Portuguese, which means he's Portuguese speaking. He fits into the group of players that we've already got that speak Portuguese, like the Brazilians and the Portuguese players here, like Fabio Vieira, Cedric. I know Cedric's leaving, but, you know, you've got uh, other players as well. Maro Bandera, young Portuguese player coming through the youth system as well. But you've got Gabriel, 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 you know, all in the team as well. So... Yeah, I think he fits in really, really nicely uh, into that group. But Fafana would be a very, very close second. I just didn't see Palinia as somebody that I didn't, you know, I had no indication that it was him that uh, was being looked at because it just seemed that it was so clear and obvious that Bayern Munich would be the team uh, that he would be moving to. Uh, let's go to Unique says, do you think it's a blessing in disguise that we didn't get Caicedo? I do think there is something to always be said about players that move to Chelsea because... <laughs> Players that move to Chelsea don't always tend to do that well. Would Mudrick have done better at Arsenal? I think he probably would have done. Would Caicedo have done better if he'd moved to Arsenal under Arteta? I think he probably would have done. But if you're asking me whether or not I'd rather have had Rice or Caicedo, it is so obvious that Rice is the better player of the two. Uh, Raf joining us in the chat, says, do you think that we spend 80 million on a player with no resale value? I don't know if he would cost 80 million, Raf, to be honest. There's been suggestions that... Um, Fulham would accept between 50 and 60 million pounds from Bayern. Um, it would depend upon the situation. But uh, I, I think that if it's in the 50 to 60 million pound bracket, I think that Arsenal would do that. Um, so it's different to Tony because Tony is not punching on the door of those top, top, top strikers. Whereas Palinha is punching on the door of those top, top, top defensive midfielders with that Premier League experience and consistency that Tony doesn't have in the same way. Um, yes, he's Premier League experience, of course, but there are a lot of question marks around Tony for a lot of reasons. By the way, I saw somebody leave a comment that I wanted to address on yesterday's show. Um, I get very frustrated, but just because I'm not the biggest fan of, of Ivan Tony as an option, Floris, it does get a little bit... Um, irritating when I see comments like bias against. So the comment from Dylan says, I love Tom, which I respect, um, but he is so shameless with his bias. And I think he means against, he says towards, but I think he means against Tony. Call a spade a spade. The only reason he doesn't want them is because of the off-field antics, which is fine. But dressing up as anything else is mad. Tony is far superior to Mbwemo. Of course, on yesterday's show, I said I think I'd rather Brian Mbwemo than Tony. The reason why I said that is A, because of his age profile. B, because I think he brings great depth to the right-hand side, which we definitely need as well, as well as being an option at centre-forward. And I think he'd be really cheap compared to Tony's massive price tag. I think Mbwemo would cost significantly less, probably less than half of what Tony would cost. And it would allow you to spend more money in other areas. So contextually, that is why I would prefer Brian Mbwemo to Ivan Tony. Um, and there isn't a bias against Tony. Just it's just my opinion. 
that I think that Tony is not the player for us. And so whenever I have a discussion about him in any context regarding potentially signing him, like in this situation that Raf has thrown up here between Tony and Palinja and the age profile, I think because of the age profile of our midfield and how that structure is changing and how Partey and Elneny and Jorginho are going to likely move on, we can replace that with some really good experience of a really good level as well. So that's really, really important. Uh, Akaya says, and Buemo would be at the AFCON though. The African Cup of Nations is never, ever, ever a reason not to sign a player. It's just not. I find it slightly sometimes disrespectful to the competition of the African Cup of Nations to talk about the AFCON as a reason why you shouldn't sign African players. The AFCON comes around every two years um, and they're away for sometimes between one to four games across those two years. It's usually not loads. We only missed Partey for one game last time around because Ghana got knocked out in the group stage. And I do think it is an arguably disrespectful point of view to the African Cup of Nations to not pick a player just because they are going to the AFCON. Let's be honest, if we had a Thomas Partey fully fit all the way through his time at Arsenal, we would have had massive benefits from having Thomas Partey here, regardless of the fact that he would go to the African Cup of Nations. So I never, ever, ever look anymore. I used to when I was younger and a little bit more naive to the situation. I certainly used to. My view on the AFCON has completely changed. And I do agree with, I think Jurgen Klopp got questioned in a press conference once about the potential disrespect that's shown uh, systemically um, to the African Cup of Nations. And I think that for me, it's just no longer a, a competition which should have any bearing on whether you do or don't sign a player. Same goes for the Asia Cup. You know, we're losing Tomiyasu. Spurs are going to be losing um, Hyunmin Son. Do you think Spurs fans don't want Hyunmin Son anymore just because the Asia Cup will be taking place during the seasons? I'd say I recommend to those that really do look at the AFCON or the Asia Cup as a reason not to sign players, just have a, just have a rethink take a step back from it, reflect on it and think about the benefit that you get in the wider context from some of these players. Do you really think that Liverpool would not be wanting Salah and Sadio Mane with all the success that they brought if they didn't sign those players because they go to the AFCON, they never would have got that, you know? So it's it's certainly never, ever, ever something not to, not to be a reason to sign a player. Sign a player based on their talent, not where they come from. Um... Let's and I know you didn't mean disrespect. It's not about meaning disrespect towards the Afghan. It's kind of a systemic thing. You know, it's just one of those things that gets kind of just brushed off. And, you know, the AFCON gets talked about in such disparaging terms when in reality it shouldn't be. And it's it's just one of those systemic things. I know you didn't mean disrespect, but it just it's just one of those systemic things. Uh, Hussein says, you're spot on about why Mbwemo makes more sense over Tony, but it would be best if we don't consider any of them. And I don't disagree with this. I think there are better players out there than Brian Mbwemo. It was purely a contextual discussion about why I think Mbwemo would be a smarter move for an Arsenal to sign than, than Ivan Tony personally. Um, just between the two, I think there are other players that I'd rather go and get than Brian and Buemo, of course, but it was just in the context of those two being compared against one another. Um, let's go to... Do, 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 do. Practica says Pep doesn't sign players who'd go mid-season tournaments. I reckon Arteta is the same. Well, Arteta signed Tomiyasu. He signed Thomas Partey. He's interested in other players that have been going to those tournaments as well. Um, I mean, yeah, sure. Manchester City don't and haven't. I mean, I'm trying to look at all transfers. When was the last players involved in the AFCON that Manchester City signed? Um, it's not a bad point, you know. It's, it's not something that necessarily they have done. Uh, just having a quick check. 
there's anyone really that they've signed. You're probably coming up with some. Riyad Mahrez. Riyad Mahrez is an obvious one. Yaya Toure is an obvious one. I don't think Pep Guardiola signed Yaya Toure, but he certainly signed Riyad Mahrez. Um, so that immediately proves that point wrong. I'm just having a quick further check down the list of players as well. Anyone else that's gone away? I'm not seeing any others. Um, no, not seeing any others. But those are two key ones. But obviously, Yaya Toure was before Pep, but Riyad Mahrez certainly wasn't. Um, but there you go. Uh, Benjamin Mendy, did he change um, allegiance from France? Let's have a quick look. Um, as far as I'm aware, I thought he played for France. Yeah, he's played 10 games for France. So, um, no, Benjamin Mendy does not count in that list. Um, let's go. He didn't sign Adebayor either. <laughs> You're going way far back now. Uh, Pep Guardiola did not sign Adebayor. I think that was Mark. Was it Mark Hughes that signed Adebayor? Um, Fuad says, Tom, I do think that we need to get a defender, no matter the restrictions, especially when Timber will miss most of the season. We're an injury away from being in big trouble, especially with Tommy out in January. I agree. My priority is midfield. My second priority is a defender. Um, you know, we really only have two natural centre-backs that are out-and-out centre-backs in Gabriel and Saliba. You've then got Tommy Asu, White and, um, and Kivior. But I think we need one more because White and Kivior and Tommy Asu have effectively become fullbacks. They've played more at fullback than any other position in the team in the in the last year. So yeah, I do think that um, a defender is you're you're right is absolutely uh, something that should be considered. Maybe one on loan in January wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. I think that maybe you could sign maybe a defender on loan. The question is, how do you sign a defender that's good enough on loan for six months that comes in knowing that they're not going to play too many games? Very 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 difficult. Uh, Unique says, I like our pace and we haven't hit full gear yet and we are top of the table. Absolutely. You are spot on. Um, let's go to, let's scroll up a little bit more because I'm sure I've missed some as well. Uh, Sabro says, uh, the AFCON has far more negative stigmas than the Asia Cup does. And it's sad. Yeah, it is a bit sad that the AFCON does have so much negative press uh, regarding it and the Asia Cup. It's a very good point. Uh, Nelson says, surely Arsenal's data analytics can identify a better option than Tony from leagues across the globe. I do not believe always in going for a shiny new toy. I absolutely agree. I don't think a shiny new toy is always the answer, which is why I've said before that even though January has been talking about and all this desperation that Arsenal are desperate, we need to go into the market, we have to go and sign players. I've said before that I think we have a great squad. I think we have a squad that is capable of winning the Premier League. It's only the injuries that have ultimately cost us um, at this moment in time, and we may have to react to that. I hope that we do react to it. I'd prefer if we sign somebody, of course, but I think we can and do have a squad that is capable of winning the Premier League, hence why we are top at the moment and have suffered significant injuries all the way through the season. Matt G says, has Man City's defence clicked yet? No, the answer is no. What we do know about Manchester City is they do go strong at the end of the season. You think about the example of last year when we won at Villa and Jorginho hit that shot that hit off Emi Martinez's head on that same day as I was travelling back from Birmingham. There was a 1-1 draw in Nottingham, which was the last time that Manchester City dropped any points in the Premier League until they won the league that season. And that is what we're up against. A machine that will just keep winning. So you need to keep winning and you need to put everything in place to give you the best chance to keep winning. So at the moment, we need to focus on opening up this gap as much as we can. Of course, in this midweek, Liverpool go away to Sheffield United. I'm not expecting too much from that. We have to beat Luton. 
uh, and we see Manchester City go away to Aston Villa. We've got to hope that Aston Villa can see them drop points for, what, the fourth game in a row? Man City have drawn their last three games. Let's hope that Aston Villa can continue that. Unai Emery and Aston Villa have a good record against City at Villa Park. Let's see if that they can do that again. Um, Meles says, come on, Tom, after a mid-striker should be a priority or even other way around because with a striker, you no longer need Saka's alternative. I don't agree. Uh, I think striker is a priority, but for me, we are shorter in midfield and in the defence. They are bigger pressing areas. Arsenal scored more goals than they had ever scored in a Premier League season last year with 88. That is not the signal of a team that are desperate for a striker whatsoever. Um, there is a need and, a, a, and certainly an ability to upgrade our forward line. But for me, making sure that you have you know, secured the rest of your team in the areas that are shorter first is more important. Uh, Derek says, are you going to Luton Town? I am indeed. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be very, very cold. I'm not hearing the best of things about their press facilities. <laughs> Apparently, they're all outside, so I might be hiding away in the car um, until I absolutely have to go inside. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, I am going. I'm very, I'm excited to go. It should be fun. Uh, Arsenal playing at Luton Town. Um, very, very interesting indeed. Uh, anyway, we're going to end the show there. There's over a thousand of you watching. Thank you so much for everybody who tunes in every single day. Please do drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you'd like to come along to our live event on February 22nd at the Old Queen's Head on the Essex Road in North London, tickets are still available and those that are remaining are down in today's video description. Thank you so much for listening. If you want, you can just type in the Guna Talk Live Eventbrite is the website that we're hosting the tickets on. So you can just Google it and find them there as well. Uh, but thank you to everybody that continues to show their appreciation and love and support for the channel. It means a lot. And uh, yeah, we will see you all very, very, very soon. And as always, stay safe, stay well, and up the Arsenal. It's the 90-plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18-plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.